The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks again for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. We're closing in on the third jewel of the Triple Crown, and once again, excitedly, we've got a horse that is going for the Triple Crown, an American pharaoh. We will be uh, tracking uh, how he's been coming up to the race here at the top of the show. want to let you know who our guests are going to be. Our first guest is one of the biggest class acts you will find in horse racing, and his name is John Court. And just last week, he received the Mike Venezia Memorial Award uh, for uh, extraordinary sportsmanship and citizenship. And it's hard to believe you can top the George Wolf Memorial Award. John Court also won that one. John took a harrowing spill after the Kentucky Derby last year and just shattered his uh, hand and part of his arm. It's questionable about whether he'd be able to come back. Your hand's holding reins and whips. Pretty important in racing, but uh, he overcame it to the point that the doctors could not believe he did. So we're going to be talking to John Cord, who's also got a couple of kids in the business. And then uh, we're going to go out to the West Coast. That's where we find uh, the major graded stakes action this week uh, with uh, Jeremy Balin. Uh, the uh, assistant editor for the Blood Horse, who's now located out on the West Coast, longtime horse player. So we'll enjoy talking with Jeremy and John. That's the setup for this edition of Winning Ponies. Hope you pulled down some easy win forms from winningponies.com. We gave out some unbelievable winners over this past week. A $1 try at Mountaineer paid over $30,000. Then let's move over to Kentucky at Churchill. A $1 Super 5 Key Wheel returned 7121 Back in Ohio at Thistledown, a $0.10 cent Super, a very popular bet. $5,340, and then over at Charlestown, a $1 super key, $1,780. Those are just a few samples. If you go to winningponies.com, you'll see the recent biggins, and you'll find out where you pull down your easy win forms. All right, so back to American Pharaoh. He didn't do much today. I think he just kind of walked. He's set for uh, an easy jog, and he really doesn't have to because um, – all of the experts that watched Tuesday morning uh, were very, very impressed. I mean, he uh, put in an extremely strong work. Uh, he was the picture of health, totally relaxed, uh, made his way around the half-mile pole alongside a pony, 
With his ears pricked, he just cruised through a steady series of 12-second eighth splits before galloping out, most importantly, the expert said, with a ton of energy around the turn. They say the gallop out was perhaps the most important and impressive part of this maintenance drill. Went about as perfectly as Bob Baffert could have hoped. The clockers timed him 48 for the half, and the gallop out of just about a flat minute for five furlongs. So he's going to stay at his old Kentucky home for now, scheduled for another week at Churchill Downs. Uh, he's probably going to have another work either Sunday or Monday. They say they're leaning towards Sunday. If you're in the area and you get out to the track by 8.15, I believe they're closing the track just for Belmont horses that are at Churchill Downs, and you'll get a look at him. Tuesday was a, a kind of a busy day uh, for some of his rivals. Uh, Mu Tahij, who was the horse that came in from Europe, was the most active. Uh, he worked five furlongs on Sunday, but he ended up blowing out three-eighths on Tuesday. Not sure if that was planned or not, uh, but it, it, was, it wasn't uh, eye-popping, but nonetheless, it was more than just a gallop around the track. Now, uh, Materiality and Carpe Diem, one of the Todd Pletcher duos, they galloped more than a mile and a half, uh, but some people are saying they're not showing quite the aggressiveness um, that uh, Carpe Diem had prior to the Derby. Uh, he jogged back at the seven furlong pole. He can be a little quirky when he trains, and they just say he seemed a little bit lackluster, according to some of the reports that I've got. Now, uh, made from Lucky, who could round out a trifecta of horses Pletcher could send to the post in the mile-and-a-half race, was the last of the trio to train, and he just galloped a leisurely mile and three-quarters after the renovation. Tal of Verve, the uh, horse that surprised everybody in the Preakness, Continues to look very nice on the track. Had another good day, went a mile and three quarters. He's scheduled a breeze later this week. So uh, weather permitting, we'll see what happened. Meanwhile, uh, Frosted uh, trained over the track, and Kieran McLaughlin said he couldn't be happier. So what we know now that American Pharaoh, of course, uh, with Victor Espinoza, will be there. Carpe Diem, the jockey is still undecided. Now, uh, Peter Pan, runner-up, Conquest I'll tell you a little bit about him later because he's not going to be in the field. And then uh, Nick Zito's from Mento has Mike Smith assigned in the saddle. Joel Rosario will ride frosted for Karen McLaughlin. Kent DeSormo will be aboard Keen Ice for Dale Romans. They are still at Churchill Downs. No jockey named I made for Lucky yet. No jockey named for Materiality. And it looks like Irad Ortiz Jr. will be riding the Irish-bred Moved Tahaj for Mike DeCock. Now, here's one that just came out. Uh, Truth or else is likely to take a shot. Conquest Curlinite, as I hinted earlier, uh, just has been training kind of lackluster, and uh, they decided that uh, it's probably not a good chance to, to go over there and try that mile and a half. Uh, Mark Cassie, the trainer, said that he failed to show us that he's ready to run his absolute best. Uh, so he didn't train Thursday morning, and it looks like he's going to point to the Queen's Plate where Cassie's had so much success up in Canada. So meanwhile, trainer Ken McPeak, who's upset this race before, said the truth or else is about 70% to run in the Belmont. Now, he's only 2 for 12, but both of his wins have come at 
Belmont Park. He won a one-mile maiden race there last September, and recently a first-level allowance going a mile and a 16th on May 22nd. Now, between those wins, Truth or Else has competed in seven consecutive graded stakes with his best finish uh, being a second to far right in the grade three southwest at Oaklawn. Uh, he lost twice to American Pharaoh at Oaklawn. But don't forget, Kenny McPeak's biggest victory came in the 2002 Belmont Stakes when Sarava at 70 to 1 became the longest shot ever to win that race. And War Emblem was going for the Triple Crown. So, Kenny McPeak, you never know. He could pull another rabbit out of the hat. Now, last week we had Ron Paolucci on, uh, who called us surprisingly to tell us War Story was going in the Belmont. Well, change that story. War Story is going close to his home. Uh, Paolucci is from Stowe, Ohio. He always said he wanted to win the Ohio Derby. And uh, looks like he's going to take that shot. You know, Tom Amos told him that he felt that they, he'd rather be five to two or two to one in the Ohio Derby than fifty or sixty to one in the Belmont Stakes. So, uh, War Story, another one that will not be uh, in in the, the Belmont Stakes next week. And if you're near New York or plan on being there, actually tickets are still available through Naira, even though they cut it back, saying that they were going to li- limit it to 90,000 people. Remember, there hasn't been a Triple Crown winner in $37. I ran into a buddy today of mine that's going to get me a $2 ticket on American Pharaoh. That'll either be a great collectible or the kiss of death on this horse that has won the first two legs of the Triple Crown. So uh, they say there's approximately 22,000 grandstand general admission tickets still available, though I understand that last year when California Chrome went, they did have a huge walk-up crowd. So, again, limited to 90,000, 22,000 left. All right. Our Jockey of the Week, it goes to Hernandez, but it is young Colby Hernandez. He was going to ride War Story if he went in the Belmont. This kid has been a model of consistency. Of course, he's Brian's younger brother, and uh, he just continues to sizzle down at Evangeline Downs, where he put together another week of double-digit wins. He currently leads all riders there with 76. Colby, only 25 years old. We wish him nothing but the best. So he gets his first jockey of the week. All right, let's take a look at some of the uh, the action that happened last week. I want to thank uh, my friend uh, Bob Roberts, Bobby Sunshine, some of us like to call him. And uh, we take a look starting with the Louisville Handicap. The winner in there was Extra Luck with Brian Hernandez, Jr. in the saddle. The Neil Howard trainee uh, won this one-and-a-half-mile turf race after running a game second in a race at the same distance at Keeneland not too long ago. So extra luck gets the job done in the grade three Louisville handicap over for greater glory, who was 12-1. to And finishing in the third spot was Golden Soul at 7-1. to then we decided to go out to Santa Anita, where it was California Gold Rush Day. And in the Snow, she- <laughs> snow Chief, uh, I hope you played you, the first three digits of your area code because the winners were 42-1, to 29-1, and 
three to one. Uh, the winner was Never a Doubt, a uh, horse who broke its maiden at Del Mar against Calebreds, and uh, since then had finished off the board in his last two starts. Got the job done at 42 to 1, and he bested Temple Keys, who uh, ran a decent race in the Silky Sullivan, but nonetheless 29 to 1. And in the third spot was Grazing Sky, uh, who was uh, stretching out and looked like he might like the distance. He was only 3 to 1, but if you had 875 on your ticket, your $1 exacta paid $702, your $1 try, $7,000. 111, and the Superfecta, $61,941.10. Then at Santa Anita, uh, the race that we picked was the Tis Now, and the winner in there was my selection, but no big surprise. Motown Man went off at 4 to 5 and got the job done with Tyler Bays in the saddle for trainer Ted West was coming off a strong race in the Precisionist. In the second spot was Spirit Rules, a horse that tried to steal the race and uh, didn't quite get the job done. And running third on the inside was Solid Wager. So once again, I want to thank Bob Roberts, uh, longtime handicapper with the Cleveland Plain Dealer, for joining us here on Winning Ponies. And uh, just one last bit of good news before we go to our first guest is that uh, Zenyatta is pronounced in full to Warfront, so we're glad to know that she is healthy. It'll be the second Warfront and Zenyatta full, so good news on the breeding front. Well, good news on the guest front for winning ponies. We're bringing home a classy, classy gentleman in the sport of thoroughbred racing. I introduced him earlier on the show. John Court's going to be with us. Take a quick break. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neill. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left. to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports... Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. 
All right, and, and with me is John Court, an extremely well-known and, most importantly, well-respected Jackie, uh, who uh, has been garnered two of the top awards in racing. We'll get to that. Uh, just to, to rewind a little bit, he, he was born in Gainesville, Florida. Uh, he started riding in Colorado at Centennial Park. Uh, then he rode in Louisiana for 12 years, which is not an easy place to ride. And then he came to the Midwest and just knocked him dead in Indiana, where he's the top rider at Hoosier Park for, for several years. Um, and he also does uh, well at Kentucky Downs. He's, he's been uh, a very strong part of racing. He's uh, one of those guys that's kind of, in my opinion, a very much of a cerebral rider. But most of all, uh, he's a class act. Uh, John Court, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good, John. Thank you. Hey, let's rewind your career a little bit. Uh, born in Gainesville, Florida, um, what was your first introduction to racing? Did you ha- have a love for it as a child? Did, did, did you somehow land on a horse farm? How did you get into it? I did. I, I was raised around Ocala, Florida on the outskirts, and even though I wasn't in Ocala, I was close enough to experience thoroughbred racehorses in retirement. And I always had the love for the horses. We had pleasure horses. And I said from when I was a child, exactly right, that it was a childhood dream, and I'm living it. So uh, I don't know how long I can live in it. I'll be 55 this year, but I'm still going strong. I win two races last week, and uh, I'm still recognized here at Churchill in the Kentucky circuits and abroad. So I'm going to stick with what I've got going right now. Oh, at 55 with, with, uh, you know, uh, guys like uh, Gary Stevens, Mike Smith, and someone who, in researching your background, I just found out you are remotely related to through the Fires family, and that is the 12th leading rider of all time, Perry Oots. Yes, Perry Oots. I'm related to him by marriage as well as early Fires in the Hall of Fame, so... I'm uh, actually yeah, well um, ingrained with uh, racing the industry as well as the blood and the family's bloodlines. Uh, yeah, it's unbelievable. And uh, Perry is very excited. He's only 13 wins away from being the leading rider in Riverdale, Arkansas, because he's about to pass early. <laughs> yeah, he's excited about it. It's a lot of fun. What, what one of his goals in life. Well, uh, tell me about... Uh, the move to, well, Centennial Park, it doesn't exist anymore, but uh, how about the early days? Were were they rough and tumble? Were you accepted into the sport right away? Was it a tough fight? Oh, it's always been a tough, competitive sport, and you have to be very tenacious and have that internal intestinal fortitude. But you mentioned something on my introduction that I did ride in Louisiana, but I really felt like that was the uh, University of Hard Knocks. If I could making in Louisiana, I could ride around the world and win anywhere, and it's proven to do so. So I'm very uh, gracious for the education I got from all the Louisiana horsemen and, and my Louisiana background. I've rode with some of the greats. Well, everyone knows Calvin Burrell, so, and uh, I was able to ride throughout my career with him and continue to do so. So I've had some success uh, along the lines worldwide, and it's been a lot of fun. And here I am in Kentucky living my dream. Well, you know, today. you think of the school of riders that came out of there, and I'll just do a few off the top of my head, and, uh, you know, Randy Romero, Eddie Dello, Jose, Robbie Alvarado, and, and the list goes on and on. It's amazing how Louisiana can just consistently produce these riders that, that become national phenomena. 
You're absolutely right. It has continued to produce riders that are recognized worldwide, and they continue to make headlines and make world records and end in the Hall of Fame. So, And I imagine they'll continue to do so. So as a, Kentucky is the capital of horse racing or thoroughbred, the breeding stock, as well as Ocala, I think uh, Louisiana is recognized as the capital of producing very uh, competitive riders throughout the world. Well, I think when and if you decide to hand it hang it up, you need to go down to, you know, uh, um, America's uh, NARA program that Chris McCarran started. I think you'd be a a great educator for the kids down there as far as how you present yourself, how you introduce yourself, how you handle yourself. Because when I look back at your your career, um, you, you know, you've You've been able to go to California, you've been able to go to Kentucky, you've been able to go to Indiana, and be successful at each place. And I guess the key is getting that door open, and it seems like you've always been able to, John. Yeah, getting the door open is probably the toughest part of this industry, to be honest with you, because I've seen a lot of talent that just didn't make it to the level of recognition simply because the door didn't open. And not that the talent was lacking, but the talent just didn't have the door open. And they'll continue to do so, and you just got to keep pushing forward till that door opens up. And I've been fortunate through my uh, tenacity to have some great doors open up, so I've been uh, very happy with that. Well, I'm not sure if our listeners know that, but you've won titles at Ellis Park, Oak Lawn, Turfway Park, Kentucky Downs, and who will remember, Birmingham Racecourse. Uh, Birmingham so, Turf Club, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, I, again, and, and you've been able to make your own way through there, and, and I, I just think it's the way of not only your physical talent and ability to read a horse, but I, I think your way to the, how, how you, your boots on the ground, you work the backstretch, and I think trainers enjoy having you up on their horse, and that's why you've been so successful at each place you've gone to. Yeah, I'm just uh, committed to it and dedicated, and I've um, put my heart into it, so I've been very fortunate that um, things have turned out the way they have. Well, it was 10 years ago that you were elected the Secretary of the Jockeys Guild, and uh, I've I've seen you at at national meetings. Tell me a little bit about your involvement and just how how important it is to the Jockeys Guild and to John Court. Well, I felt the Jockeys Guild very significant for representation. We all need a group that supports riders as a whole. And they did run into some trouble, and they got a little stigmatized, and um, were stereotyped throughout the country. But they've been able to reunify, and that's when I uh, got involved and helped to just uh, get down into the work the nuts and bolts of it. And we were able to revive the Jockeys Guild. Now it's a stronger organization. We've got a strong board, some great supporters, and we're recognized for what we represent as riders as a whole. And uh, the industry respects us. So it was a little bit of a trying time. But I think with the, the entire country was going through a tire, recession time in the 2009 era with housing and economy and everything. So the whole country was experiencing a little trial during that area. And we were able to rise above it. We're still within the industry supporting riders and and working within the industry to promote racing in every way we can. Well, you know, I guess I could go a lot of places and say John Court, and the name wouldn't just, you know, automatically pop into somebody's head. But back in 2007, you were awarded the George Wolf Memorial Jockey Award. Now, uh, this uh, is voted on by your peers. And it's given to a jockey who demonstrates the high standards of personal and professional conduct on and off the racetrack. Uh, that had to be as good as any riding title you won. 
It, it was, John. It was a very humbling, very humbling experience that I experienced of being voted with the George Wolf. Uh, by the way, if anybody's listening, John is still at the racetrack, if you hear uh, the, the announcer in, in the background. Uh, but to, to follow that up, if anybody would be you know, so proud enough to win the George Wolf, to find out that years later they would receive the Mike Venezia Award uh, that was established uh, for jockeys who exemplify extraordinary sportsmanship and citizenship, uh, that had to be equally as good, if not better, than the George Wolf Award. You know, John, you're exactly right. This, uh, as, as humbling as it was, it was very exciting, the fact that uh, I was nominated, more or less, for the Mike Viennese Award, because that is also open for the public voting and fans uh, worldwide. So you can just be involved in in racing and just a spectator, and you can vote on that one. So to be able to win that vote and be able to be with the prestigious uh, uh, recipients of the past is very humbling, and I, I just can't even express how it's really taken me um, in, in a sense of honor and uh, pride that I've uh, experienced by being voted for the Mike Bianese Memorial Award. Well, like I said, that that's probably got to mean more to you than any jockey title you won at any track. Very memorable. I'm going to recognize it for the remainder of my life, that's for certain, because I know he was a man of integrity and a gentleman, and I've heard nothing but good, and I did cross paths with him. I did not know Mike, but um, I did cross paths and, and rode in New York for a while while he was there in my early career, and... Um, just to be able to be associated with that and nominated was uh, an exciting experience for me. And the fact that I actually was voted in to win over uh, the other recipients, they were uh, some great riders and, and are great riders. So I, um, I just kind of was left speechless there for quite a few days. I didn't know what to think. And I had to get gather my thoughts and write a speech and rewrite it and compose it the best way I could express myself, and I think it was received well amongst the community then, the racing community as well. Knowing you, I'm sure it was. Well, I, I don't want to uh, spend too much time on this, but we did get a chance to talk about it uh, one morning during the Kentucky Derby workout. I really didn't under know the how, how bad your injury was that day you came off the, the horse, I believe, was after the last race of last year's Derby. And uh, yes. they say that you, you progress faster than, than any patient, but it, it wasn't just a, 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 a crack. I mean, you, you just mangled your hand. Oh, mangle is the right word. It was totally decimated, but uh, Kleiner and Poots put it together real well, and through a diligent therapy and nutrition, and amongst the many other things, we don't have time on the show to really explain all what I went through, but uh, they uh, re- re- literally rebuilt my hand, even from the joint capsules on from the wrist on, so it was... Uh, it was a very, um, it was a detrimental to the point where we didn't know if I'd even have a hand left. So it's amazing, absolutely a miracle that I was able to come back and not only the condition that it came back into, but um, in the time frame I came. They gave me a year to return and I came back within six months. But I'll tell you, and honestly, it was not an easy six months. It's one of the most psychological, stressful moments I've had in my life, I would say. 
Well, I'm so glad you came back. I think I remember reading a press release that when you came back, you might have ridden a triple on your return, kind of letting people know I'm back in the saddle. Uh, One last question for you. Uh, You obviously passed on your love or because you you, you were a father and your kids were around you and around horses. You've got at least two children that I know uh, that are involved in a thoroughbred race, and I believe your son Justin uh, is a blacksmith, and Aaron, I saw him on the saddle down here about two weeks ago winning a race. Yeah, Aaron is riding now. He's uh, got his weight where it needs to be. He's in a happy place. He's riding really good. Of course, that's a father talking, but actually the public <laughs> has noticed he's really in a, his mindset. He's focused. He's riding very professional uh, for someone who has the bug. But he's doing extremely well. I'm very proud of him. And he's having a, a good amount of success for what little he's riding. And then my oldest son is a blacksmith. Graduated out of the blacksmith school here in uh, Kentucky with the highest score in the history of the oldest school of Kentucky. And also a three-time world champion in martial arts. And uh, and my daughter, she lives here in Louisville. And she's interested in the races and comes out and supports quite a bit as well as Crystal and I. We have a, a young daughter that's 11. And she's always... a uh, the uh, sunshine of our eyes. So, yeah, the family is all supportive, and my two boys are involved in the racing industry, and it's a family affair. Well, they certainly do have a fine man to to look up to. Uh, John, like I said, I looked up class act in the dictionary earlier today. Your picture was there. You are a class act, and I'm glad you're being recognized for it. Well, thank you, John. Thank you very much. I, I all right, we've been we're talking with John Kenton Court. Catch him at a racetrack near you. Right now, it's a Churchill Downs. You can hear the announcer in the background. But John uh, rode right up until the time when we had a chance to catch him. So I'm so happy he got to uh, share those uh, parts of his life that you might not have known about and wish him nothing but the best, and long may he ride. So from John Court, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and we come back, we're going to go to Jeremy Balin from the Blood Horse. He's our West Coast guy, and that's where the big graded stakes races are this weekend. And then we're going to go to the Penn National, where several horses are shipping from the West Coast to compete in that half-a-million-dollar race. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need a bitch's ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports.
You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and back with me is Jeremy Balin from The Blood Horse. He's uh, one of the new staff writers and assistant editor for The Blood Horse, and he's covering races on the West Coast. Uh, Jeremy, as we uh, discussed the last time, is a son of a horse player, was the son of another horse player, so he's a third generation, and uh, so not only does he uh, edit the magazine, but he knows uh, a bit about handicapping. Uh, Jeremy, again, for our audience, you made the mistake of saying, John, call me any time, so I have <laughs> pretty quickly. Uh, but if you would just kind of give your background again to perhaps some of our Winning Ponies listeners that didn't get a chance to, to tune into the last show. Yeah, you uh, you hit it pretty pretty well to start off. I uh, just kind of born and raised on going to the track when I was younger and uh, kind of the same way my, my father was raised in Baltimore, except I grew up uh, in the Valley on the West coast and uh, got into covering horse racing a little bit when I was at the orange County register and made my way over to the blood horse uh, kind of in, in, in some, some fortunate circumstances. And now I get to cover racing on a daily basis, which is just uh, a great thing to, to be involved with. Uh, well, you know, the big horse, American Pharaoh, came out of your turf over there. Um, I don't find it surprising that Baffert did not return to California with him, even though he's not with him every day, because it seems to me, as uh, I recall, he pretty much did this with uh, War Emblem and Silver Charm, horses that were shooting for the Triple Crown, uh, since he had already been at Churchill for, for several weeks, shipped over for the Preakness and came back, he didn't see any sense in bringing those horses back to California. Is that pretty much the read you got on it, too? Yeah, and, and, and Bob, a, a, lot of, a lot of that is just not messing with a, a good thing. You know, he, he did so well at Churchill through the Kentucky Derby and the, the Preakness. I don't think there was any sense in bringing him all the way back to California and shipping him all the way back to New York. Um, they have a barn there at Churchill, and uh, and Jimmy Barnes is there pretty much all the time now that that Pharaoh is is stabled there for the time being. So it just I think it was actually just letting him be comfortable where he's shown to be comfortable. So, well, I know now you know that they. Uh what they started doing for the Oaks and the Derby, and they've now done for the, quote, Belmont horses in uh, having a private time after the renovation break uh, just for those horses. And what's neat is is that they're streaming uh, the videos. Did you get a chance to see American Pharaoh's last uh, solid trip over the track? I haven't, but from, from what I understand, it was it was pretty easy, and he moved pretty well. That's uh, what came out today was that, you know, Bob really talked about how well this horse moves over, over the ground. It's probably the best horse he's, he's ever had in that respect. So, um, I mean, you weren't expecting, or we weren't expecting any type of, you know, blowout where he would be running four furlongs and 46 and change or something like he, like he might do at Santa Anita under regular circumstances. 
you still have a, I mean, he didn't have to expend too much energy. I don't think in the, in the Preakness as much as he did in the Kentucky Derby, but uh, they're definitely, uh, I think giving him a little bit of time to maybe take a breather before getting through all this. Yeah. Particularly, you know, for a lightly raced horse that had, you know, two tough races going a mile and a quarter, which you never had to do and uh, being asked to overcome some elements, shall I say, uh, in, in the Preakness stakes. But uh, the the one thing that I read about people that were either at Churchill or that observed the workout online is how impressed they were after the work on his eagerness to gallop out. Yeah, it's. I mean, for, going back to the Preakness, as soon as that <laughs> rain started, I, I thought the the race was pretty much over. Um, and uh, as far as going forward, I know that they are. They're kind of praying for rain. <laughs> they would love for it to be raining in New York. And as far as the, the training, he just, Farrow has just trained, even back at Santa Anita, preparing for the two Oakland preps. He's just been training so, so well. And every, every training session has been, has been great in, in the Baffert Barnes eyes, at least. I, I think there was that one kind of shaky maybe not shaky, but kind of slow Dortmund work right before in the Derby that might have been signs of things to come. But they've just been uh, – you've never – I've never seen a, a Farrow work at Santa Anita or anywhere else where they've come back and said, well, maybe that didn't, didn't do – it's always glowing, glowing reports from them, even from, from the ones that I've seen live. No one has ever had a problem with this horse working in the morning. Now – I would have to say, you know, because everybody's asking me, you know, well, John, you know, is he going to do it? Is he going to get it done? And um, obviously, I, I, I do not have a, uh, a crystal ball, uh, but do I want him to? Yeah, I do. I, I think it would be great for the game. Do I think there's a chink in the armor? The only one, in my opinion, Jeremy, is his female family. You've got to admit, when you look at them on paper, there's not a whole lot of heavy black type on the bottom of that page. The, I mean, I, I'm not uh, an authority on, on, on breeding or anything like that, but the, it's so hard to predict stuff like this. I mean, the Kentucky Derby is, is a tough ask already for, for three-year-olds, you know, jumping from, most jumping from a mile and an eight. And, and, you know, that's a big step up. And then you kind of take this little step down for the Preakness, and then you jump up to a mile and a half, which is just, Nothing that any of those three-year-olds have ever seen before, like not even close. So it just—it's it, hard enough to predict um, races when you're looking at uh, forms and uh, and past performances with with races of the same distance and same surfaces. Now you're talking about a different surface, which a lot of these horses haven't covered before. You're talking about a completely different distance. So it's just you know it, predicting that is is really a, a tough ask. Well, again, and, you know, like friends come up to me and they're like, well, John, well, who do you like in these act or whatever? And I said, well, you got to wait a week. You know, I just found out an hour ago that Ken, Kenny McPeak's going to pull off another Sarava. He's entered in uh, Truth or Else, a horse yeah. that's won twice at Belmont and since then has been in, you know, between those two races uh, has been in nothing but graded stakes company. Uh, mm-hmm. So you really don't know who the who all the shooters are going to be at. I've got to guess you've got friends that you know out there on the West Coast that know you're involved in racing. Are they asking you the question, do you think he can do it? And what's your answer, oh. Ben? 
Uh, absolutely. And my answer is pretty much what I, what I just said said last to you. But yeah, you, you're right about you have to wait till the field is, is out there and, and, and ready to go because uh, somebody who figured to be able to cover the di- distance, Conquest Curlinate, he was ruled out today, uh, kind of a big horse who, who really seems to like the longer distances. And uh, it, it's just, I've never been more confident about a horse going into the Kentucky Derby and the, and the Preakness. But this, this Belmont race, it's just, there's a reason why it's bitten so many people in the past. Because it's, it's an unknown. And it, it's, it's a tough ask for such a young horse to do all these three races on top of this distance that no one has ever run before. So um, it's predicting people have been wrong so many times in the past to, to, I know people who are not going to the Belmont specifically because they've had their soul crushed so many times in recent (laughs) years. So, um, you know, that's, it's, it's maybe the toughest race to forecast, I think. Well, while I've got you on here, we're going to take a mid-break. I got three races that I want to handicap. I'm going to I'm going to save that Penn National race for last because I couldn't make heads or tails of that one. So, out at Santa Anita, the one of the few places we got graded stakes races this week. Start out with a Grade One, the American Oaks. Jeremy, I should have called somebody other than you because the majority of this field is shipping in from the East Coast or the Midwest. It's unbelievable how many horses are shipping. Of course, it's a grade one, carries $400,000. Um, mm-hmm. But and nonetheless, it's a West Coast. So I don't have the odds in front of me, but I'm thinking that Spanish Queen's the one that's got to get her crown knocked off. But, boy, they're sure not ducking her. No, and, and Spanish Queen is the two-to-one mooring line favorite, but uh, and the, the, the win over the Sanity the Turf is a, is a big deal. Um, because you really don't know, uh, trainers always talk about how different that uh, Sanity of Turf course is, how much firmer it is than everywhere else. So who I focused on in the preview was the two Chad Brown horses. Originally was scheduled for three, but strict uh, compliance, I think, is is scheduled to go into the, the, the Penn Oaks um, uh, coming up. So he's going to be scratched, or she's going to be scratched. But uh, it's just... It, you, we talked like we talked about last time out um, with the with the Belmont discussion. I mean, these a lot of these horses are going to be handling a completely different surface. So I think it's right to assume that Spanish Queen, not only coming off of a very impressive win in the Honeymoon Stakes, which was a Grade Two uh, in early May, but she's she's won over this grass course. So she, we know that she can handle um that type of feeling but uh, the the horse that i really like at a at a price and the two chad brown horses uh mrs mcdougall and and consumer credit five to two and three to one it's just i'm not a buyer at at that price or those prices the horse that i like is the horse that ran second uh to spanish queen in the honeymoon uh charlotte ray really had a tough trip in in that one i think had to be pulled early and then rallied to be second uh, 48 to one odds on that day. So maybe that was just an aberration, but if you're just looking at the trip, um, she figures to be right there as well. Um, another, another horse in there at 12 to one is, uh, dating lady luck is actually run. The only horse who's run close to a mile and a quarter, uh, with this, uh, main special weight win at Keeneland, uh, a couple or a month back. 
So uh, I, I, there's a lot of angles to play, but I think experience over that sanity of turf course is, uh, is one of the, the biggest ones to play. All right. Well, it does look like she is uh, going to be the one to beat. But, again, uh, a lot of people willing to uh, pay for the plane ride to come out there and beat her. Uh, you know, Todd Pletcher has Feather in there, who's coming mm-hmm. off a win in the, the mile and the 16th Edgewood Stakes at uh, Keeneland. And then, uh, like you said, you got uh, you got Chad Brown in there, and he's been the, the, the up-and-comer. Uh, consumer credit, uh, one of the most consistent fillies in training, uh, seven starts, four wins in two seconds. And we're still scratching our head about how good Mrs. McDougal could do. And while uh, no longer on the East Coast, picks up the services of Gary Stevens. So nonetheless, the American Oaks is going to be a very interesting race with Spanish Queen, the one most likely to beat. But we'll be interested in watching Jeremy Balin's pick, Charlotte Ray, with her, uh, her trip and only getting beat a length and a half. My guess is if you can get good odds on her versus, uh, you know, six to five on Spanish Queen, that might be the value play of of the day down there. Again, we're talking with Jeremy Balin from the Blood Horse. We're looking at the American Oaks. We're going to take a little bit of a break. When we come back, we're going to look at a grade two race at Santa Anita, the Californian, and then we're going to look at a very interesting and odd race that offers a half a million dollars at Penn National, and that's the Penn Mile. You're listening to Winning Ponies. We're going to take a little bit of a break. We'll be right back with Jeremy Ballin. school to the pros we, we cover, everything. cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the triple crown breeders cup travers haskell or your daily races don't worry let winningponies.com make some money for you your internet flagship station for sports Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll free at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me is Jeremy Balin from the Blood Horse Magazine. Uh, he's out there on the West Coast, and since some of the biggest races are out there, we thought we'd call on him to join us today. Uh, the Californian, it's a grade two. Uh, this one uh, mostly drawing older boys. It's a mile and an eighth on the main track, and a horse that I don't know, maybe he gets paid by the mile for, for shipping fees, but he's sure done <laughs> awful well on the racetrack, and that would be one Moreno. Uh, there might not be a horse in modern times that 
has raced at as many tracks and as many quality races as Moreno has. Uh, that or Alec Goulier, the Cajun, just likes to go to different places and see how good their Cajun restaurants are. I mean, four, four wins and 26 starts with, with almost three, $3 million in earnings. He does. He really doesn't shy away from anybody. You know, running against shared belief last time out, uh, you know, just tons of big, Santa Anita handicap ran a, a big second a couple times, or I think three starts ago. So, and you know he's been in the Breeders' Cup Classic a couple times. Didn't fire in him, but uh, you know they don't they do not shy away from from any competition there. No, and that Breeders' Cup Classic, of course, was an aberration on a lot of different fronts, and getting knocked the way he did out of the gate may have cost him all chance, but. You know, uh, he, he has raced at Santa Anita eight times, has not won, but he's won almost a quarter million dollars. And in those eight starts, he's finished second in four of them. So uh, he's no stranger to, to the surface. And like you said, he's no stranger to top competition. Now, it looks like he will be joined, as we know. Uh, let's face it, I hate to use the term, but he's kind of a one-trick pony. There's no big uh-huh. surprise that he's going to be told to go to the lead. Uh, Cornelio Velasquez, that was aboard him for the Charlestown Classic win, uh, is coming in from the East Coast to ride him. But uh, Big Casanova, the Argentina bred, down on the inside, he's got a little bit of early lick himself, and uh, Moreno may find him uh, with some company alongside for the earlier going. And that's the horse that, that I really like is, is Big Casanova on the inside with, with a good jockey switch to, to Tyler Bays. Uh, there's not, there's not a, a, a rider on the West Coast who I trust more out on the lead than, than Tyler. Um, and and I, actually, Eric, when I, when I talked to him for the preview for this race, he said that he doesn't want the lead necessarily in this race. He wants to sit off of, of Big Casanova. Um, just like he did in the in the Charleston Classic, and even if you look at his form uh, in the New Orleans Handicap, he he uh, he was off the lead a little bit until until taking over and then fading again. So uh, it's just a, it's a question of if Moreno is ready, and he's been training pretty well at Los Al. Uh, he is a is a one twelve flat six furlong work May twentieth. Um, if he's ready and kind of breaks out of this every other race trend that he seems to be in. Then, then he's going to be tough to beat. But Big Casanova at at eight to one on the morning line, with a good speed rider in, in Tyler Bays, is is the best value in my opinion in this race. Uh, everybody else, you know, Sammy Mandeville with Bejarano, um, uh, the, the last couple of times that he's raced, he seems to like Santa Anita, and he closes unlike so many horses on that racetrack. Um, you can kind of throw the Oakland races out just might not like that that track so um you know those would be the three that i would really consider but uh but big casanova on the inside is the the speed play that i like well it looks to me like the the the, the horses that are if you want to call them second tier or that could be a surprise threat are going to be coming out of the grade three precisionist and i have to admit that this argentinian bred Catch a flight uh, deserves a, a second look because if you go back to the Santa Anita handicap where he raced uh, behind Shared Belief Moreno, Moreno only beat him by a head in that okay. race, and he has since come back and put another 100 plus buyer together in the Precisionist. Uh, I'm uh, ho- hoping you got a chance to. Uh, 
put your eyes on that race. Uh, can can you tell us about it? Because uh, we've got uh, you know Mo, Motown Man came back and won last week. He ran mm-hmm. third in the Precisionist, and then you got both Catch a Flight and uh, Sammy Mandeville in here. Uh, anything that you saw in the Precisionist that might say Catch a Flight could be an upsetter in here? He he got a great ride by Flavian Pratt, who's really turned into uh, you know a young kid, 22 years old, who's really turned into a very good good jockey at, at Santa Anita. But getting Stevens back is is certainly not a downgrade. Um, and uh, it's just it's he seems to run himself into into some trouble sometimes. Um, you know he had to split had to get between horses. So if he's uh, I, I like the forwardly placed horses a little bit more in this race, but if he gets a good uh, good trip or a hole opens up, he'll, he'll be right there as well. Well, I totally agree, and he will be on my ticket. Well, got a couple minutes left. Threw this one at you. A little bit of a curve. Uh, <laughs> let's face it, Penn National, I think this is the first graded stakes race they've had in several years. Going to go a mile on a turf. It's the Penn Mile grade three what a matchup i mean you've got horses coming from everywhere including your neck of the woods now i know ocho 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 uh has spent his last two races at uh keeneland and churchill ran third behind carpe diem and finished Mm -hmm. uh, 14th in the in the kentucky derby but it it is a west coast based horse and you're the fact that Mike Smith is coming to ride that horse certainly gives him immediate street cred. And then you got Papa Cool, Papa Cool coming off three straight wins out at Santa Anita, albeit two of them stakes not graded, uh, but just looks like a horse that can that can rate and, and wear them down. Uh, Elvis Trujillo, who's won on him several times, will be in the saddle. Those are your West Coast angle horses. Um, uh, the tepid morning line favorite i believe is night prowler from the chad brown barn coming off a, a very uh, game win in the grade three transylvania at keeneland and then a horse you just can't throw out going on the grass a kitten's joy owned by the ramses and trained by mike maker two for two granny's kitten i just painted that race with a broad brush Do you <laughs> see any masterpieces in there I mean, gosh, I mean, there's a, that's not the only, Granny's Kitten isn't the only undefeated horse in there. There's a four for four horse, uh, just to, just to, uh, his outside, Woodwind W, who is, you know, hasn't, is pretty much won by a length or more in, in every start. It's, uh, there's just so many different kinds of horses in this race. I mean, Ocho 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 has never run on the turf before. I mean, we, we just have no idea how he's going to handle, handle, he obviously can, can ship, but, because he won the he won the Derby Prep in uh, in Louisiana, I think. Um, yeah, but, the, the uh, Delta Juvenile Cup. Yeah, I think the race sets up pretty well for Papa Cool, Papa Cool. Considering there is a lot, there is some outside speed in the the two outside horses, Gallery and and Tuba, and the Ocho 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 show has showed speed on dirt certainly. Um, but uh, you know, Papa Cool, Papa Cool. It's just a matter of whether he fits in into this group. I mean, three straight wins in regular stakes and, and an optional claiming, but you go back to when he actually raced against graded competition, he just didn't, didn't seem to fit in, in those. So it, but I saw that last race of La Puente. He won that race so easily with Gary Stevens. If there was any time to try graded 
stakes competition, I think now would be the time. All right. Well, uh, it might be a little West Coast bias there, but let me tell you, folks, if you're looking for a race that's going to pay a price and you want to play some exotics, check out Penn National. Now, remember, they're kind of an evening uh, program, so on Eastern time, it'll be run about 722, and there's going to be prices galore in there. We didn't even mention Force the Pass, where uh, if you like the undefeated uh, Woodwind W, this horse was closing fast after having to uh, to steady on the rail. He could be an upsetter. Joel Rosario coming in to ride. Of course, those guys might just take a helicopter over uh, from Belmont Park, for all I know. But So it looks like a great competitive race, and I, I want to thank uh, Jer- Jeremy Balin from the Blood Horse for being on with us. Appreciate all your input and glad to have you back on Winning Ponies. Thank you very much. I appreciate it too. All right. Want to thank Jeremy. Also want to thank the class act, John Court, and congratulate him on winning the Mike Venezia Award and spending some uh, busy time with us from Churchill Downs tonight. So that pretty much closes out another award-winning show here on Winning Ponies. Thanks so much for listening. Tell your friends if they missed the show, they can get it on podcast. Get over to winningponies.com, get your easy win sheets, get your winners. I want to thank you so much for listening. So as I overlook the manicured turf course across the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky, I'm John Engelhart. Remember, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.